Hey everyone, welcome to the Lead Young Adult Podcast. This is Rob and we are on week two of our identity series. Today our title is Servant, Child, Friend. I'm going to go ahead and open up in prayer. Father God, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight, God, to minister to these young adults. Father, I thank you for the opportunity and the blessing that they are to all those around them, Father. The blessing they are to me and the leaders here, God. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your blessing, Father. Lord, we welcome you here tonight. We pray for your anointing, Father, because it is your anointing, it is your presence that makes a way where there is no way. And it is in those encounters, those moments with you, Father, where we see our identities revealed to us, Father, as we truly see ourselves as we are in Jesus. So, Father God, we love you. We welcome you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I hope you guys have, have been having a good week, you know. I'm glad to be back. I know last week must have, must have went somewhat well because you all came back. So that's, that's a good sign. Um, but as I said last week, you know, it's always an honor and a privilege to come in here and speak into your lives. You guys could be anywhere and you choose to be here. So welcome back. Happy you guys are here. And I really hope that the message just continues to just speak to you and that God uses it as, as he uses it to me to minister into my own life as I, I see myself more clearly in Jesus as I continue to pour into the scriptures and study this out and on identity. And it's been good. It's been good. It's been good. But um, so last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, I spoke about Jacob, and I talked about how it is in the encounter with God that we truly see our identities revealed. At that point of encounter, our identities are revealed, and through the goodness of God and the fingerprints, his fingerprints on our lives, we see ourselves revealed, and we see the identity just opened up through the scriptures and I'm losing my train of thought guys I'm sorry but as I got ready to close last week I talked about how you're all royalty in the father's house so meaning that when you look at the scriptures and it says that we are kings and priests unto the Lord so in 1 Peter 2 9 it says but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And then in Revelations 1, 5 through 6, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and a priest, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So what does that mean to be a royal priesthood? Well, what did a priest do? In the Old Testament, the priest brought the sacrifice to the temple. As people brought the, the sacrifice there, they would take it in and they would offer it before the Lord. In the New Testament, we know we don't take animals, you know, burn offerings into the Lord, but we bring forth our hearts, we bring forth praise, we bring forth worship unto the Lord. That is what it looks like to be a royal priesthood. As you bring forth worship 
we actually walk out our first identity, the first thing that we're called to, to do, and that is to be a worshiper. Before any other call on your life, we are all called and we were created to be worshipers. The next part about being kings unto the Lord. As kings, we're called to reign, but you know we don't reign over people. You're going to reign over the affairs of this life. You're going to reign over anything that attempts to come against you in this life. And you know, it's a very broad statement. But we are called to live from victory, the victory that Christ has already won for us. And from that place of victory, we have the opportunity to extend the kingdom. Whose kingdom? Jesus' kingdom. What does kingdom mean? It means comes from two words, king's domain. So it's the rule and reign of Christ upon the earth. So as you've probably heard before, you've probably heard yourselves called servants of God, right? Have you heard that? Servants of God, children of God, and friends of God. If you have been in Wave Walker, I'm sure you've heard, you're a servant of God, you're a friend of God, you're a child of God. So which one of these roles is it? Or is it all three? Is there more? My answer to that is yes. As we walk in our relationship with the Lord, it's really not one-dimensional. Just like a relationship that you have with your parents, with your friends, um, people you work with, there's always layers to all these relationships. And there's layers in our relationship with the Lord in our identity that comes from that relationship. So what does it mean to be a servant of God? Does it mean that we do a lot of stuff for God? Because God just needs an army of people who are just going to do a whole bunch of stuff? I ask, I ask a question. It's like the number one thing you're not supposed to do when you public speak is ask a question because like they're not going to give you a response. So I ask you guys lots of questions. But when I used to think about being a servant of God, once I got past the whole, oh, I'm a servant of God, and I started thinking about, oh, what does it really mean to be a servant of God? Does it mean that I'm going to do a whole bunch of stuff? And I have to do everything that he tells me to do. Because if I don't, he's going to be mad at me, and I don't want to make God mad at me. Because obviously God's really great, but if I don't do everything he wants me to do, then he's not going to like me anymore. And, you know, I bring it down really simplistic to the point that it's almost humorous, but those are real thoughts and emotions, especially when you first come to that place of, of salvation or maybe that early beginning of your walk, or maybe you've been walking for a while and you've just never had someone really say to you, you know, yeah, you're a servant of God, but, you know, being a servant of God doesn't mean that you're just doing stuff for God. I used to think, Oh my gosh, God wants me to do this? Like this big thing, like I'm supposed to be a father and a husband and I'm supposed to be successful and I'm supposed to talk to people and I'm supposed to live a life like Jesus. And at that point, you just start breaking out. You're like, how am I going to live a life like Jesus? I'm not Jesus. But we're called to represent Jesus. 
And I would get really discouraged. I'd get really discouraged because I was striving to try to do something that I was never meant to do in my own strength. I was never meant to do in my own power. Because I totally forgot about grace. And I really wonder if that's what happened with Judas. Because if you think about Judas, Judas and Peter both betrayed Jesus, but Peter remembered grace eventually and repented, but Judas hung himself. Judas forgot grace. Jesus also had the conversation with them where he told them that, you know, you're no longer servants, but I call you friends. He told them that he was going to call them friends because he had already told them all things. And I think to the point back then is I really didn't have a grasp on being versus doing. I really felt that I needed to do everything for God because God wasn't pleased with just me being me. That I was created to do something and that was it. That my identity was basically so wrapped up in what I was doing that I didn't get the fact that he just wanted me to be with him. You know the passage where Jesus talks about, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? I would literally, like I said, I would literally think about all this stuff and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to do all this stuff. But the reason that the yoke is easy and his burden is light is because Jesus does everything with us. We're not meant to do it on our own, but he actually bears the weight with us. And I like the way that Pastor Chris talks about it. He said, you know, we, we show up and, and we do, it's kind of like bring your kid to work day. You know, we show up and we think we're doing everything, but really God does all the heavy lifting. You know, we walk in obedience, but then God actually does the work because it's his grace that actually enables us to do what he's called us to do. I don't think being a servant is so much about what we do or what we don't do. As we talked about last week about a heart transformation, being a servant of God is more so an attitude of the heart. It's kind of positioning our hearts to realize that God has our yes. Regardless of what it is, what we're going through, God has our yes. Wherever he's leading us, he has our yes. And it's not that he wants everyone to walk in the same way and that his servants, oh, God's telling everyone to march right. So we march right. He didn't create everyone the same. And when I was thinking through this, I thought about the story of the parable of the miners. Is everyone familiar with the story of the parable of miners where the master gives the servants all the money and he tells them, the, the translation actually says, go make this money work. Put this money to work. That's not a lot of instructions, right? But they're servants. So they have to do what he said to do. But there's creative license, licensing there. When he comes back, he, the last servant who didn't do anything with the money, he says, you could have at least given it to the bank, put it in the bank so I would have earned interest on it. The implication there was is that the least you could do was what was probably the standard, most logical thing to do with money was to go take in the bank and you at least get something back, Right? But the other servants, they went and invested it. It doesn't say how they invested it, but they made differing um, amounts of money back. So although they followed what the master said, there was the ability to be individuals 
to go out and invest that money with a return. It's the same way with us. We follow the Lord. The Lord leads us in a certain direction. But you have the creative licensure in your life to serve him in the way that you've been gifted, the way you've been created. Because he knits you together in your mother's womb with a purpose. I like to think of it as a direction. When it talks about in Proverbs, raise a child up in the way they should go, it actually, the way is actually translated back into the original language. It means bent. So it's actually the way that you're created to go. So the, the implication there is that the child is raised in the way that they were created to go in the first place. In the same way, God, from the beginning, he calls you to a purpose. He calls you to something. But then he has created you innately with the abilities, gifts to do that. But how you get there, how you choose to walk out that purpose is ultimately your personal choice. We're still servants, but we're serving from the heart because we want to serve God. We don't have to serve God. It's the gift. It's the gift of a free will. If God didn't want us to have free will and didn't want us to be creative, he did a poor job of creating us. He could have just made robots. Now there's people who go out and create robots as part of their purpose, but God didn't create robots. He gave us all gifts, abilities. He made us creative because he made us in his own image. And in, our, in, in his image, God is the most creative being in the entire universe. He created everything. He's just, he's a creator. Therefore, you are inherently creative. I read an interesting thing where they, this article I read, they talked about how when you took a, a bunch of kids in preschool and you said, how many of you are an artist? Everyone raises their hand. And then as you go up in age groups and you ask the same question, less and less children raise their hand. Less and less children see themselves as artistic. And inherently, I feel like the longer, you, the, long, the more you ask as people grow and you say, are you creative? People inherently go, no, no. More and more people will say no, that they're not creative. But you are creative because you're made in the very image of the creator. I think most people understand the idea between, behind being a servant. It's probably the most straightforward of when you think of a relationship between being a servant, being a child, or being, being a friend. Being the servant's most straightforward because on the surface, it looks like God tells me what to do and I do it. I just don't think that it's that basic with God and I don't feel like that's the deepest level of relationship with the Lord. If you look at your relationships with your friends and the people in your life, if they did everything that you told them to do all the time, how awesome would that be? It'd probably be good at the beginning, right? Yeah, and then also great. Yeah, like, like at first, think about it. Like if everyone did exactly what you wanted all the time, it'd be interesting, right? At first, it'd be good. Like you'd be getting exactly what you wanted. But I think after a while, it'd get boring. I think it'd get boring after a while because you'd be limiting yourself. You'd be limiting your experience based on your own imagination and your own thoughts, your own vision. 
Now, obviously, God's vision and God's ability is far past mine or, any, or anyone else's. But when we allow people to be themselves and we, they just have a general direction, they make the choices and they use their creativity. Even if you think about in the workplace, I've had good bosses, I've had bad bosses. I've had bosses who tell you A to Z exactly what to do and how they want it done. And I've worked for bosses who say, you know, this is where we start, this is the end goal. What do you think? And I'm able to partner with them and work alongside them. I'm still working for them, but I have the ability to use my giftings, creativity, to get to the end goal. I'm using giftings, I'm using, um, you know, my experiences. All those different factors that have made me who I am, I get to pour it into a project. And what happens is my boss gets a project at the end of it. He gets to see me work through the entire process. And, you know, he gets the experience of saying, this is Rob expressed in his work. He's not just a reflection of me doing the task the way I'd want it done. I got to see Rob do it. I got to see Rob's thought process. And you know what? Maybe it worked out better. Maybe it worked out worse. But now I have a better understanding of who Rob is. And oftentimes I think that with God, it's very similar. God puts us on a path and he calls us to do something. And we go, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to do this. And God likes to step back and see us walk up to it and think about it. And he likes to see us process. He likes to see us take those steps of faith. He likes to see us trust him. Because I don't think God really enjoys one-sided conversations. I think God likes when we pause, when we come up to a challenge or something that we experience in life, and we go, God, what do you think? And then we listen. And then we hear, or we go to the scriptures, and, and we read the word, and we see what his word says about a situation. We don't get caught up in doing something step by step. But we follow God on the journey. In Paul's letters to the churches, we see that people are getting caught up on getting trapped in the law. They wanted to just follow the letter of the law, even though they already had freedom in Christ. They were still attempting to keep the law. And the religious leaders were trying to place the weight of circumcision on them. And that's when you read those letters, you'll see all the time that Paul's talking about, they just want to put circumcision on you. They want to put circumcision on them because it was outward mark on the body that said that they were going to follow the law. Meanwhile, historically, they hadn't been able to keep the law the whole way through. That's why Jesus had to show up. But we know that our identity isn't found in our ability to keep the law. Our identity isn't in our ability to follow rules and processes and to do exactly what God said all, all the time. Our identity is found in him. Our identity is found in our relationship with God. As we serve God, we don't do it from a posture of being reduced or being obligated, but it's from a place of privilege. Jesus modeled servant leadership to us, and as we serve people, we lead with love. I want you to turn, if you have your Bibles or your Bible out, to Exodus 20, 18 to 21. There's three perspectives there that I want to look at. Exodus 20, 
that has to do with Moses at the mountain. And in 18 to 21, it says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. I was reading this, and I think, I think it's really interesting, but I also think it's kind of sad at the same time for me because the people come have the opportunity to approach God. They hear God, the very God who led them out of Egypt, led them out of slavery, parted the Red Sea. All these amazing, miraculous things happen for them. But yet when they come to the point of the mountain, they come to the point where God's in the darkness on the mountain in the cloud and he begins to speak. They pull back and they get afraid. God wanted to speak to the people. God wanted to interact with the people. And I feel like that's God's heart. God's heart is he wants to interact with us. He doesn't want it to be one-sided. But then you have Moses, and here's the second perspective. Moses has a relationship with God. It says that Moses has met God face-to-face before this point. He has an established relationship. And it's interesting when you see Moses when he first encounters God in the burning bush. And then the whole journey out of the Red Sea, when he's out on the end of the Red Sea, and he's like, God, what do we do now? And then God splits the Red Sea. Moses has learned trust. He's learned that the Lord's faithful. So when God shows up and there's the thunder and the lightning and the trumpet and the smoke, everyone else trembling in fear. And he's just like, this is just what God does. This is just him. He doesn't pull back, but actually he steps forward. But when the people pull back, they basically say to Moses, you know what? You talk to God. We don't want the interaction. You talk to God. You get us rules. You get us the law. You come back. Give it to us. And we'll do whatever God said. We just don't want to talk to him. You talk to him. I think it's sad because the people reduce the opportunity at the walk in relation to interaction with God at that point, they reduced it down to a transaction. And the transaction was, you give us the rules and the law, you tell us what we're supposed to do and not do, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll do whatever it is, and then we get to feel good about ourselves because we did what God said and we kept the law. So God won't be mad at us and it's all good. Kind of like, I don't really know God, but I go to church. I read my Bible sometimes. I, once in a while, maybe I'll think about praying. And I don't really have a strong relationship with the Lord. And maybe I don't really even know God. But you know, I do the things I think I'm supposed to do. But when God calls me deeper, I kind of just pull back. Because I don't really want all that. I don't really want anything where I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm just going to stay back here. And God, I'll reduce my walk and my relationship to I'll just do what I'm supposed to do to be a good Christian. And so often we get stuck in those patterns where we pull back. 
And there's definitely an element of being a servant of God where, yes, we do what God calls us to do. And there are moments where it's not a, yeah, God, but this is what I think. Sometimes it's a God says, you know, it's time to step out and do it. And we just step out and do it. Absolutely. There's moments like that. And that's why there's layers to the relationship. But I think the danger in finding your identity as solely being a servant is that we get wrapped up in doing. And when you're not doing stuff for the Lord, think about this, your identity. I'm a servant of God. What happens when God doesn't tell you to do anything? Who are you? You don't have an identity then because your identity is so tied up in what you're doing. At that point, you will think that your performance determines your acceptance level. But the crazy thing is, you're already accepted. You're already accepted by the Lord. You're already accepted by Jesus. He reconciled you back to the Father. I love the line in the song. Everyone in here know who Maverick City is? Okay, if you don't know who Maverick City is, I I highly recommend going onto YouTube and looking up Maverick City Worship. All right, specifically look up Maverick City Gyra. Okay, in that song, I love the line in the song. It says, I wasn't holding you up, so there was nothing I could do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. That takes all the expectation off of us. We have the freedom to just be. We get to just be with him because that's ultimately what he's after is our heart. God is bigger than our greatest failure or even your greatest achievement. I think that's the beauty of, of free will is we don't have to, but we get to. We get the opportunity to serve. Because you can't serve people in love if it's not a choice. At that point, it's slavery, it's compulsion. But God's after your heart. He already loves you. You're not working for his approval. And we aren't striving after religious rules or laws. The second one is that I'm going to move to is now child of God. And I'm going to read out of Galatians 4. If you still have your Bible open, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free those held hostage to the law so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. And so that we would know that we are his true children. God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, my true father. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything our father has. For we are heirs because of what God has done. Another translation talks about how we are now adopted as sons and daughters by the Father. The interesting thing I was, I was reading about this passage, and because it's in the book of Galatians, it was written to the church of Galatia. Galatia was a Roman province. Roman adoption practices were different than Jewish adoption practices. Jewish adoption practices, there basically weren't any because when 
the father would pass away, the brother would become head of the household. In Roman adoption, children could not be disinherited. They actually had a better standing within the family than a natural born child. And I pulled this from an article. I'm going to read you the quote. An adopted child received a new identity. Any prior commitments, responsibility, and debts were erased. Does not sound like us? When you come to faith in Jesus, you get a new identity. Any prior commitments, responsibilities, and debts were erased. All sin debt, gone. New rights and responsibilities were taken on. You have a purpose. Also in ancient Rome, the concept of inheritance was part of life, not something that began at death. So think about that. We don't inherit all of heaven when we die and go to heaven. Right? Lord's Prayer, on earth as is in heaven. Sheena preached an amazing message this weekend. If you didn't listen to it, you need to go online and you need to listen to it. When she spoke about authority. All those things she talked about are only possible because of what Jesus did on Calvary. Your choice to follow him. And through that, you are reconciled back into God's family. You are reconciled to God. You're adopted back into his family. And you get to live out all of those benefits and have that authority here on the earth. Also in ancient Rome, the concept of being adopted made someone an heir to their father, joint shares in all possessions and fully united to him. It is a constant reminder that we are fully desired, fully loved, and that we have taken on a new identity through Jesus, that we were created for heaven, but even now are heirs to God, co-heirs with Christ. As children of God, we have access to everything that is his. And everything is under the feet of Jesus. It says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The last section I'm going to speak on is going to be friend of God. And it's the idea of being a co-laborer. Do you all remember the song? I was, as I, like, the whole time I was writing this, I just had all these random songs just popping up in my head. And do you remember the song, I Am a Friend of God? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like the throwback song. It's like, I should have Sheena come up here and sing it. I don't know if you want to do that. <laughs> I'm definitely not singing it. Um, but I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God, and he calls me friend. Isn't that amazing? Like, when you think about the truth of that, I am a friend of God. Right? I say I'm a friend of God, but, but what's the second one? He calls me friend. Can you think of those people who, you know, I'm, I'm friends with that guy. I have, think about all the friends you can have on Facebook. Do you know who all the, all the your, if I asked you right now, could you name all the people who are your friends on Facebook? Yeah. Would, would they? Cam, you said you can? Yeah, I have zero. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, then, Cam, you can't answer the second question. I was going to say, would they be able to say that you were their friend? Would they remember that you were one of their friends? Well, they aren't my friends if they aren't my friends in real life. Okay, true enough. Um, but that's the amazing thing with God. God knows us, and we're known by God. God knows us in intimately. And yeah, this, this was a catchy song, but 
Honestly, I, I don't know if we always truly grasp the idea of being a friend, a friend with God. Because it's a two-way street. It's a two-way connection. And so often we're going to go, well, you know what? Whatever God says, I'm going to do it. But do you think that God really wants to hear from you? Like that was the point that I really had to move my mindset and my thinking years ago from a servant mindset to a son mindset. That God really cared what I was thinking. He really cared about what I was feeling and he really wanted to hear from me. God didn't just want me to sit there and pray mindless prayers back and be like, Rob, what do you want? God, whatever you want. He's like, really? Did nothing else? Like nothing? No, God, whatever you want. It's like, well, yeah, obviously, Rob, you probably want whatever I want because, you know, you, you're able to make the logical sense that I probably want the best thing for you. What else? It's like, oh, you actually really want to hear how I'm doing, what I want, what my dreams are, even though God can look in my heart and he can look at me and he knows all those things because he put me together. But he cares to hear them. He cares to have that walk with us. And I think it's interesting that it goes beyond that because if we look through the history of the Bible, there are times in history where God is getting ready to act. And before he acts, he still takes the time to ask a man, a creative, per- a created person, what do you think? Can you think about those times in the Bible? Can you think of those characters? Um, I have two of them down here tonight. Um, Moses and Abraham. Um, in Exodus 33:11, it says that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as he spoke to a friend, and that Abraham was a friend of God in James 2:23. But for Abraham, we're going to talk from um, Abraham 8, or Abraham. Abraham had a book of the Bible. Not really, but I, said he, I just said he did. But Genesis 18, 18, 17, it says, God said, shall I hide from Abraham all that, I'm about, all that I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So what does that mean? It means that God stopped, thought, and said, you know what? Because of this special relationship that I have with Abraham, because he was the first man to faith, and we have this covenant relationship going on here, and I already know where he's going to be, I'm going to let him weigh in. I'm going to tell him what I'm going to do. So what happens? This is right before God is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And... If you know the story, God says, you know, all this wicked stuff's going on here and judgment's going to come to this city because God is loving, God is merciful, but he's also a God of justice. And in this point, this is where justice is exercised at this point in scripture. But before he executes judgment, Abraham says, whoa, 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 let's time out. But God, what if there's 50 righteous people? Could you, like, he had a relationship with God that not only did he speak to God, but when God says, hey, I'm going to do this, Abraham doesn't go, you know what, God, you know what you're doing, man. You you do what you got to do. 
He goes, well, hold, hold on. What if there's 50? And God goes, oh, you know what, Abraham? Okay, if there's 50, I'll spare them. And then Abraham goes, okay, if I can ask again, what if there's 45? And he goes, okay, if there's 45. And then he goes, well, hold on, God, what if there's 30? And he goes, okay, 30. 20, eventually gets down to 10. The point, the point that I want to make to that story is just the fact of God invites the relationship in with Abraham and he actually listens to Abraham. God had determined a course of action, but he still made it known to Abraham before he acted. And then he actually gave Abraham the opportunity to weigh in. Now, in this one, God doesn't change his mind. But he did change his position when he came down to 10. But in the story for Moses in Exodus 32, 11 to 13, God does change his mind. So if you turn to 32, 12 through 17, um, they're getting ready to enter the promised land, right? And God says to Moses, listen, um, I'm going to make provision for you. You're going to go into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. You know, everything's going to work out. Like you're going to go, you're going to go take this land. And, you know, if, if you think about it from our own intellect and our own lives, if God says to you, hey, if you go over here, you're going to have this super successful career. All the dreams that you've been waiting for your whole life are going to come true. Everything's going to work out exactly the way you want it, but I'm not going with you. It's like, well, I could just listen to God because he said to go do it. Right? You could just go. I mean, God told you to do it. But Moses' response, I think, is so powerful because it kind of shows you the mindset and the identity as a friend of God. And he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? It is not by your going with us, if, yeah, is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? They knew that what set them apart was their relationship with God. It was the presence of God in their midst that set them apart from every other person on the earth, every other nation, every other group of people. What made them special, what set them apart was the presence of God with them. And today that needs to be, in my opinion, the quality that sets us apart. God is for everyone, but not everyone chooses to follow God. But the mark of the presence of God on your life is going to be what sets you apart. It's from being a child of God and being a friend of God that we pull our identity. Those were a couple new, or Old Testament examples. Um, a New Testament example that I thought about was uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. When you think about the wedding of Cana, right? Jesus is there and, and they're going to run out of wine. And you're probably familiar with the story. Like they're going to run out of wine. They don't know what to do. Um, basically at that time in that culture, that would have been an embarrassment. 
the, for the family. So Mary comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, they're all out of wine. And Jesus basically says, what do you want me to do about it? My time hasn't come. And Mary takes him to the servants and says, whatever he says, do it. I like to think that what happened at this time was Mary, who, when you think back to when God tells her that, you know, she's going to give birth to the Messiah and he speaks to her and it says that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. How long can you hold and treasure the promises of God until you have to see it manifest in your life? And I think at this point what happened for Mary was Mary held these promises so long to there's the opportunity and she said, I got to see this thing. I know that he's the Messiah. I know that he's the miracle worker. I know that he's the son of God. And even though Jesus said a couple of scriptures prior, you know, it's not my time for me to be revealed as the miracle worker. When Mary brings this forth, when Mary comes with expectation and faith, Jesus then, because we know it said that he only did what he saw the father do and he only said what he heard him say. So he had, he, I like to think he took that double take at the father and the father gave him the double thumbs up. And he's like, okay. And he made the water, turned it into wine. Why is that important? What does that have to do with being a friend of God? That's just another example of where you get to see God partner with people to see the outcome shifted. Mary's hunger, Mary's expectation pulled something into her experience in that day that was reserved for another. How do we know that it wasn't supposed to happen that day? Because Jesus said that it wasn't the time for him to be revealed. And the last scripture we're going to close out with is John 15, 15. And it says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. The word tells us that the, whole, that the Holy Spirit is a teacher, it's a counselor. That he'll quicken the word to us. We have the Bible, Jesus, and that we can have our minds renewed through the reading of the word. God wants to make known anything that you want to know in your life. God wants a conversation. He wants to speak to you. I'm not saying you're always going to get the why, because we ask a lot of, a lot of whys, and we don't always get an answer. But he calls you friend, and he wants to walk out life with you. As we wrap up tonight, I hope you can see from this that you know, you're not just a servant. God calls you a child. He calls you a friend. But he calls us to serve from our identity as children of God, as his friend. Because we will always do more from the place of love, a place of intimacy, of relationship. You'll always do more from that place than what you're going to do out of obligation or compulsion. We get to walk in that intimate relationship with the Lord. We get to know what he's doing. And then we get to walk with him and shape our world. Before I, before, I like pray, before I pray and release you guys, tying this together, 
I want you to go and listen to Sheena's message if you haven't heard it. Because authority ties with identity so heavily. And also the Maverick City song. If you haven't heard Jaira, you need to go listen to Jaira. But thank you guys for, for the time tonight. Thank you for diving into the word with me as we went into identity for week two. And in two weeks, we'll, we'll wrap up the last week of this. Next week, we're having the bonfire and the cookout. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and wrap up. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this night. We thank you for all these young adults here tonight. Lord God, I pray that you will bless them in their going out and in their coming in, Father. Lord, I pray that you will open doors for them, Father. Lord, that as, as they are your children, Father God, we know that you want the best for each and every one of us. Father, we just, we love you. We welcome your presence into every area of our lives. And we want to be people marked by your presence. We want to be defined as your children. Father, you are so good. And we just thank you and we love you. We give you all the glory, the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.